The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. I'm joined by Shona Cahill, who is Account Director with DHR Communications, Aoife Barry, journalist and author of Social Capital, Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom, and Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish uh, Daily Mail. Shona, I might start with you. The strategy that is being outlined um, by the Sunday Times for Fine Gael to flag up the murky past of Sinn Féin. Oh, that's something completely different. I've never even I've never heard Fine Gael do anything of the sort before in relation to Sinn Féin. Tell me more, Anton. <laughs> well, according to the Sunday Times, what they are saying is that they are going to associate Sinn Féin with criminality, so the kind of thing like the Jonathan Dowdles of this world and uh, the IRA past. Will that make a blind bit of difference to Sinn Féin Oh, yeah, because no, I suppose it's this whole idea that, you know, Sinn Féin are trying to position themselves as a party of law and order after all these um, Dublin riots and Fine Gael are like, we're not having it. We're not having it now at all. And so what we have seen is a release of a video on, uh, it's probably across platforms. I, see, I, I watched it on X this morning. And it's this really, uh, it's well produced uh, uh, p- piece. It's kind of like a prime time teaser ad. Um, there, it's there's black and white. There's dramatic music. There's subtitles. There's a corkboard that some poor Fine Gael intern had to like cut out very like it very precisely. The you know every article in relation to Jonathan Dowdle. And then there's like red string, you know, on the corkboard pulling us from Mary Lou's expanded oh, so face. Style, oh God, it's really you know it's like yeah. NCIS. It's Criminal Minds. It's it's giving. You know, um, it's very exciting stuff. I really struggled to get past the first 30 seconds. Uh, myself and Eva watched it uh, together this morning. And uh, I think, you know, when you not not only because I think as a, a you know, regular social media uh, scroller, I would struggle to do it. I also just think it's not the best strategy uh, from Fine Gael to put up a video like this. Um, Why? I'm, my question really is, who's it for? Um, I suppose... It's not uh, certainly not directed at people under forty, uh, kind of who want to hear about, uh, you know, what are Fine Gael doing about housing and the big issues of the day. Uh, so it doesn't appeal to them. So what I'm trying to figure out is, obviously, you know, there's money gone into this, and why you might put money into something like this is because you might have polling or some um, understanding or information to think that either your own voters or swing voters who may be leaning towards Fine Gael uh, need to be reminded uh, of the supposed criminality in relation to Sinn Féin's past uh, and that we we really want to link them to this kind of dirty, dark past and current. Uh, like, and sorry, is the strategy Gael, to link them to the IRA the past or to link them no, with it's, it's, the it's sort of the moment, stuff? No, it's, it's modern criminality is what they want to link it to, yeah. And to, do you think, Aoife, does it make a blind bit of difference to the voter? It's a good question. I mean, on an individual basis, some people might be swayed by this, but um, I agree with with the idea of who is it for in the sense of, like, I think particularly for me, what struck me is that it was the Jonathan Dowdall case, which is obviously a really fascinating, dark and interesting and, and kind of long drawn out case that was kind of going on for a number of years really um, and whether or not that's still kind of in the ether where people actually care about that and whether or not reminding people of the Sinn Féin links to Jonathan Dowdall is a tactic to get pe- some people to sit up and go oh hang on I've decided I will not actually give them my vote when I'm asked, asked to do so um, or whether it's kind of a little bit late to, to the game now apparently this video according to the Sunday Times was actually made in January of this year which might make a bit more um, a bit more sense mm. so it was that's earlier in, in the year 11 months ago um, yeah it, sa- it says in it here that um, the video is person. Sorry, I have it here somewhere, the line, that it was, um, I'll find it in a minute there now. Sorry, I'm looking at the paper in front of me. Um, but 
the idea that that if it was made a little bit earlier, if I haven't misread here, it might make a bit more sense than it being made now. But at the same, but regardless, I think. Like there is that, that that conflict we're talking about. There is. Do you want to remind younger voters who didn't, who grew up kind of, you know, post Good Friday Agreement, whether or not you want to remind them of Sinn Fein's past as, um, as a party? If you want to talk about the IRA, or if you want to say, oh, actually, you know, it, you know, certain things have not changed, or we want to bring in these kind of newer but things. This made, but whether in, or not that actually will make an in impact the scale on scale way up of a voter's choice. If you've gotten to the point, not saying that you should, but if you've gotten mm-hmm. to the point where you say, I believe that Sinn Fein are more likely to get me or mine into a house. I believe that Sinn Fein are, are more likely mm-hmm. to make it possible that me or mine will be able to access the health system. On the other side of the balance, Mary Lou Macdonald was once in a picture with Jonathan Dowdle. Yeah. Does now, one Fine, outweigh Fine the Gales, other? Uh, two, minute, two minute, 20 second video very much takes the point that there are far more reasons yeah. to connect Jonathan Dowdle and Sinn Féin and Mary Lou than just the selfie and that they're at pains to make that and, point across and the, the video. Yeah, yeah, and it's it basically, it's about sowing distrust. The, obviously, is, yeah. attack videos are about sowing distrust regardless of who's being at the attack videos. I mean, so going since the 1960s or thereabouts, US presidential campaigns, that idea of can you really trust this person that you want to give a vote to? You know, Margaret Thatcher famously had one about um, Labour as well. Um, that idea of sowing mis- distrust and even if people might not even know all of the details, you know, they also want to kind of get them thinking. So in a way... Um, the Jonathan Dowdell thing to me feels a little bit weird but at the same time I see that their approach is this this sowing distrust thing so perhaps it doesn't matter whether it's him or not. Yeah. I actually think it's very effective um, and for, for a number of reasons. One, it ties a lot of the, of the Jonathan Dowdell case together. It shows Mary Lou Macdonald having to correct, to correct what she said initially on it in relation to the initial uh, donation and then, um, you know, she says that she didn't know him but yet the, what the video shows is is not only with her in a picture with John Dowdle once, it shows at a, a boxing training camp as well. So it's it's really trying to undermine um, Mary Lou McDonald's credibility as well because she's had to go back over her previous statements. Um, so look, I, I thought it was quite quite an effective video. But does it make Gale. a difference? Do you think that the voters yeah. who are voting for Sinn Féin are influenced by that kind of thing? Well, I, I think what you have to remember with the current Sinn Féin vote is that they've taken voters from all across the political spectrum and also from the middle ground. And I think what this video might do is say, okay, the people who are kind of, you know, kind of soft, that soft Sinn Féin vote who might be looking at them to vote on on housing or health, as you mentioned, it's trying to sow a bit of doubt into their mind on on that issue. Like, it's not going to make every Sinn Féin voter question it, but I think that it it, it has served its purpose. And just to go back to this this point of of political videos, I think it's it's a a much improved attempt by Fine Gael. You might recall during the 20... 20 general election campaign they put up this horrendous uh, video of, um, of of people with with, with, with uh, Fianna Fáil masks on them so you had cut, you had cut outs of yeah. Micheál Martin Eamon O'Keefe and William D running around looking in empty drawers and it was the whole um, the issue was oh, Fianna Fáil can't find any policies you know for the campaign so it's an improvement on that at least But I would have thought that in political terms that old Oscar Wilde quote of the only thing that's worse than being talked about is not being talked about surely if you are the opposition what you want. I mean, what Donald Trump has proved to us is yeah. the more that you can draw ire and brickbats and attention, mm. the more you can convert it into actually something that is beneficial for you. I, for one, do not welcome this possible era of attack ads, though. I, no, I really, really don't. I don't want to see that here. Um, and I, you know, I just, I, f- I do feel really strongly about it. And maybe for some and in some spaces, it feels inevitable that we would go down that route. Um but and, and I, it's not that I'm just I'm so naive to think that Irish politics is above all that and we're just so genteel to each other that we would never do something. Yeah. Um, but I do. I think it's interesting, though, like t- for Fine Gael to consistently 
give uh, Sinn Féin a platform. Because if you're talking about them, you're not talking about yourself. And it seems to me, I know there's there's reasonings. It's it's about, uh, as Aoife said, uh, and Craig indeed, about that kind of sowing of mistrust, that this this kind of broad-based, relatively loose Sinn Féin support that we've seen um, grow around issues. There are issues-based support rather than Sinn Féin support. Maybe it's opposition support. Um, I, I, maybe a support for Mary Lou as being a leader and a str- strength there around housing and, and health. Um, I still don't know necessarily who this uh, video really appeals to. Uh, it may appeal to someone um, who is just lacking a little bit of confidence around being able to go into conversations in the bar over Christmas around, you know, ju- all of the links, uh, the dodgy dodginess of Sinn Féin's past and their current uh, connections with people like Jonathan Dowdle. Uh, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm still not clear who it's for. And I, again, don't we- welcome well, this Is it era. also a high risk strategy? Because you want to be sure that you are cleaner than the driven snow yeah, you before really you start this crack. You do, but I think as well, like it, it's clear, you know, Fine Gael, I mean, there, there's a there's a study by Queen's University in 2020 looking at the kind of sentiment of of, pe- of political parties' tweets um, on online around 2020, and uh, Fine Gael came out as the most negative kind of sentiment in terms of you know the words and and uh, you know the, the the kind of beliefs behind the, behind their tweets. And it, this video is also a way of Fine Gael positioning themselves as we are the party who will create attack videos. You kind of don't want to mess with us because if you do something, we're willing to to stand up against it, and you know we're taking that. Americanized view of things and we're, we're willing to push things a little bit farther. So in a way, it's also for them about just positioning themselves, not as this nicey-nicey party, but that, you know, if you want to vote for us, you, you're voting for people who are willing to stand up against what's wrong um, and who are willing to kind of push buttons. So it, it works in that way if I think you're a Fine Gael fan, if you're somebody who really is not a fan of that particular, you know, way of doing things. And, you know, I agree, it wouldn't be something that I would personally be a fan of. I wouldn't be giving my vote to somebody because they necessarily was more attacking than, than another party. Um, you know, so I suppose they're taking a risk, but it is a very good, uh, from, from their point of view, it's a very strong messaging that they are giving to voters. Interesting test coming in on both sides of it. Um, Re Sinn Féin, it's going to be difficult for Irish voters to not tie IRA to Sinn Féin in next election. I think it will put people off on the actual voting day. Well, it hasn't put people off so far in terms of when they're asked by pollsters. Another, the established party stood over uh, building us rubbish housing during the boom. That's why people are switching to voting for uh, Sinn Féin. Of course, the paper today is well covering other issues for uh, the um, government parties. Um, suggesting, Craig, that the uh, Fine Gael has major problems with the amount of people that it's losing and that uh, Leo Varadkar is getting irked with all of this uh, suggestion that there is a hemorrhaging of talent out of the party. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so what, what I'm sure the teacher could say that it's, it's the kind of natural churn uh, within politics, but I mean, it, it, it's not a good look to have there's about eight now, the latest count from the parliamentary party that are, that are leaving, um, and that, that might not be all, you know. Um, and it isn't just TDs. Um, we've also seen Deirdre Clune announcing she's not going to go as an MEP, but also even significantly, I did a piece a couple of, a couple of weeks ago that amongst councillors, that they've, they're kind of shedding councillors as well who won't be going forward at, at the next election. Um, and I guess look, there's, there's two sides to the story on this. I mean, I mean, one is um, it, it isn't rare that politicians get to choose their own retirement date. Um, the second is that, you know, you've, you talk to politicians that do it every, every, day, every week, is that being a politician has, has changed significantly now in, ter- in terms of what it means, in, both in terms of your, your personal life and also that of your family, whether it's protesters being outside your door, whether it's the comments that are made against you online. And that is something that's come into the discourse now of people, and even TDs and senators who are saying to me they're staying on, they've said, I've had to think long and hard about it. So they see it as a materially different experience than it once was. Yeah, yeah, and they said they have to question: you know, is is it worth it anymore? Because 
um, the hostility um, that, that that's towards them um, and again the impact it's having on, on their families. And was it not ever thus? I mean, whenever that gets discussed, people will say, well, it now may travel through a different channel, but was there not always that level of abuse? Is, is no, it that I th- different? I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's so uh, present all the time now. And look, I think, I think it kind of crystallised most for me when I was, we asked the Taoiseach in Washington in September about the threats that have been made, made against him. And he said something that kind of stuck with me where he said before it was, it was people, um, you know, kind of, not jobs online making threats, but now it's it's people who have a history of, of violence, you know, previously. Um, so, and look, I mean, there's, there's politicians I know that, that won't walk into Leinster House anymore. They'll only arrive by car. By car. Um, there's a real fear amongst uh, politicians that um, a serious act of violence against one of them is, is kind of imminent. Um, and it's it's worrying departure. And I, I, can, I can see why many of them now, now question um, why they would want to put their families through that. And, and I think that doesn't bode well as well for the makeup of of kind of government and political parties in terms of of diversifying mm. Um, mm. politics in Ireland because it, what it really does say is that if you are in particular somebody who's a member of a minority group or if you're a woman somebody who might be you know more or less at risk in society because of your identity then if you're going into politics where you might be more at risk again because you are um, as Craig outlined there are many different reasons why people feel at risk there why would you want to go into politics and there obviously has been much more of a push in recent years to try and diversify. Now, is that social Ireland. media awfulness or is that a change in, in politics generally? Well, I think the, the idea of the feedback that they get. The feedback they get, but that thing of that it's hard to diversif- to create diversification in politics because people feel they are more at risk. Is that because they are opening Twitter or Facebook or whatever message and they're seeing this stuff oh, and well, otherwise they wouldn't have? I, or is yeah. it that something has changed in the body politic that there is less respect and more aggression towards politicians? No, I think it's more to do with the fact that we're looking at social media now, people have a direct line to politicians over the last 10 to 15 years in particular that they didn't have before. Um, I interviewed um, politicians from my and people from my book as well about this and that idea that people like you're saying once you have an account you have an ability for anybody to contact you. Now this is great for democracy in the sense of anybody can tweet Leo Varadkar and say I think this about this particular thing. That arguably is a good thing but at the same time not everybody tweeting politicians is saying things that are I don't agree with this policy. They are literally they can be sending threats. You do see people sending threats saying you know even on the day of the riot saying let's go to Leo's house let's get to his house. videos let's yeah. go to Leo Varadkar's house. So people are visibly seeing online and now with things like the riots the link between comments people are making online to actual real life events happening. So even in this last month or two, it's got it's even kind of jumped up again. Um, and I think you know we've we've seen a big push, obviously, of the last ten or fifteen years for um, gender gender balance, and then that that kind of pushed on again to even more diversity. And there was kind of some reticence against that that people also had to battle against. But now people are realizing. If you're a public figure, then you are going to be put up against particular things. Like I was talking to a female county councillor from somewhere around the country, I won't say where, recently he was talking to me how difficult it was even just being a woman in politics, in dealing with other politicians or other county councillors, should I say. Um, and then if you add to that the idea of dealing with people online who you don't even know that are saying X, Y, Z to you, like... It's not a very attractive job for people. Um, you have to have a, a real strength of character. I can you have to feel, really deal with I can it. I can feel the text rolling getting written in where people are saying they get on. 90 something basic to be a TD. They get uh, allowances. They, I mean, they, they get, get a lot of benefits. They get power. They get, <laughs> they get power and money. So no, and there's that's no, why people and, enter and there's, and there's no doubt. I mean, the, 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 there is going to be frustration, I think, for people listening mm-hmm. um, because immediately people jump to that, uh, the, the kind of uh, the money that's involved in being a politician or a public figure. Uh, but the reality is, Aoife is 
absolutely correct. I mean, the there is, and, and Craig said it before, I think it's this connection between um, what was a very kind of far off kind of online set of people that couldn't touch you. And now there's a connection to the fact that this accessibility that we value so much in Ireland to our politicians, like whether or not you like the local councillor, whether or not you like the local TD, I, most people uh, around the country now, I think it has changed in the last kind of five years. Oh, but you couldn't be a politician actually engaging around on social media. In, I mean, when you see in urban areas, people feel less connected to their to their local uh, and uh, their their local TDs and, and politicians. But um, I think it is extremely difficult uh, to be in a situation where you are you are twenty four seven accessible. And I think a lot of it now feels very, very scary and dangerous for people. And also just to say, two things can be true at the same time. Yes, you can really, You know, it's absolutely. not that like, you know, it's terrible being a politician, uh, full stop. It, there are certain elements to it that are really difficult. There are certain elements as to why people really want to get into politics because of all of the benefits. So just for people listening, it's it's not, it's dialectical. There's two different things happening at Interesting the same response. time. Interesting response. It's poor form from the political parties now to have to try to discredit other parties in order to try to win votes, or votes rather, as opposed to winning votes for past performance. Fine Gael would be better off taking ownership of the current issues rather than trying to attack Sinn Féin all the time. I've never voted for Sinn Féin before, but purely on the basis of potentially buying a house, I'll be giving them the number one next time. Mid-twenties on a good wage, south of country, friends are emigrating in droves, they don't seem to care about the young people. On the other hand, text saying, if anybody thinks that Sinn Féin are the answer to our housing problem, they are drinking their own Kool-Aid. We were talking about the departures, Craig, of a series of people from politics in, in retiring terms, people like uh, Richard Bruton um, from uh, Fine Gael. There are two potential departees that you might give us your view on. One being Pascal Donoghue, is he going to get the IMF gig? And now um, reports that Michael McGrath might be heading off to be European Commissioner. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Pascal Donoghue one has been what's been talked about for the last week. Um, he's been at pains to say that there's no vacancy yet. I mean, that the current head of the IMF could... Yet. Uh, could... T- take up uh, or, or opt for a second tenure but of course he hasn't definitively ruined it out which, which, which would give credence to the Bloomberg reports um, that he's had provisional talks around that um, on the Michael McGraw one I I think the uh, it's, it's that's much more or less certain um, and I think his comments around Pascal saying how great a candidate he would be perhaps um, sees him you know wanting to stay on as being the main man and not one, one of uh, one of two that they're there at the moment but the reason I, I don't think Michael McGraw will be the commissioner is because it's in the gift of Michal Martin who gets that commissioner's role. So you, know, you might have one school of thought would be, well, you know, if, if he goes off there, um, Michal kind of secures his base. But there's never really going to be a heave against, against uh, Michal Martin for Michael McGrath, the shared state constituency. Um, but think about it from this point of view. If, if the current government wants to be re-elected again and you're Michal Martin and you're Leo Varadkar, do you really want to let two of your kind of star performers walk off the pitch I don't think so so what well, you might see one go I certainly don't think um, you'll see both go and the commissioner's role I mean the, the the most highly talked about name at the moment in regards to it is is actually Charlie McConnell Oak, who faces a very difficult <laughs> task up in, up in Donegal to be re-elected um, but has you know has been I guess very loyal to the party and, and kind of fought that corner in a very difficult kind of local environment there so he's he's the one the name doing the, the running at the moment What do you make of, of Noel Dempsey's theory that everybody is just tired of them and particularly tired of Fine Gael because they have had 13 years now in power. Yeah, but, but I think if you look, look at the polling though, um, I mean, it, it's it's pretty tight um, and I think support for the government, government if you're looking at the kind of uh, Ireland things polling over that shows that it, it's kind of in the balance um, and I think if, if you want to add in a few of the other smaller parties, depending on how well Social, Social Democrats or Labour do, add them into the mix as well to, to come back with some other Labour co- coalition. Um, 
I think it's been very difficult for, for Sinn Féin in the last month. We saw initially, um, like, the, like their, their rapid growth has been very impressive. But you, know, you talk to pollsters, they've pulled from the left, the right, the centre. And I think at the moment they're really struggling in that identity, uh, which was, I guess, shown most clearly initially on, on, on Israel and Gaza. They, they didn't really... Um, know what their position was because they had to bat, bat, juggle this position of okay what do our base want but also how, how do we respond in a tone that would actually be fitting to if we, if we were in government and I think they really struggle there and similarly on, on but the, didn't, Do they not just have to hammer health, housing, cost of living? You know, and that's what they have been doing and that's why they were continuing to grow but in the last, last two months when you had Middle East and now law and order you suddenly see a dwindling of support for them so if what they'll want going into the election campaign is to get law and order off the table and uh, hopefully things settle down in the Middle East and go back to their all reliables where they know they're strong and that's that's what Sinn Féin want and when it's when it's other than that we've saw difficult for Difficulty for them. Text coming in on those old reliables. I'm an accidental landlord with one apartment. Sinn Féin hate landlords. If Sinn Féin ever get into government, I will sell it immediately and Sinn Féin can can find somewhere for my tenant to live. Sinn Féin will increase homelessness. They would argue very strongly to the contrary on that. Um, We were talking about the difficulties in in being a politician. One of the difficulties apparently is that you end up the face of a get-rich scheme that is not your own. This is what's happened to me all, Martin. We'll talk more about that after this break. The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Well, as you heard from uh, Mark Hagney there, the Anton Savage Show Sunday. On the Anton Savage Show Saturday, we were talking to the chairman or the chairperson of Commission Naman, which is the entity that is going to be tasked, that is currently tasked with regulating social media companies. It's out for a consultation process at the moment. Look at what their code of practice should entail. But there's an interesting story in the front of the Irish, um, the Sunday Indo, I should say, a rather an interesting piece by Brendan O'Connor asking or talking about Michal Martin's Get Rich Quick scheme. And it relates to how difficult the task of regulating anything to do with social media and online is going to be. This, of course, is not a real guess, Rich, quick scheme. No, certainly not. And that's why Michael Martin is in court. He's basically taken the tech companies that hosted these ads that claimed that he was part of this kind of cryptocurrency scam. And there were some other ads as well that had, they were kind of negative campaigning against him. He's trying to get the information from the tech companies who hosted these ads um, about basically who actually paid for the ads to actually be, be put online. And it's really interesting because you might think, you know, say a terrible ad comes up against you on, on Google you know, somebody in the search results or maybe you're looking at, at a website and it comes up through through Google, you might think, oh, I'll just, you know, drop them an email, give them a call. They might tell me, oh, you know, Joe Bloggs opposed to that um, ad. Obviously, that's not how it works. You have to go to court and take out what's called a Norwich Pharmacal order. It's named after the company that the very first order um, related to kind of unveiling information about somebody who posted something online um, is about you have to go to court, say, take Google, for example, as an example, and say to them, I want to take out this order, this Norwich Pharmacal order, go to the High Court. If that's granted, the company then has to give you the information on this individual that posted XYZ, whatever you're looking for. For something that is, is wrongly you. using your image yeah. or your profile. It's the same with something. tweets. If someone tweets about you, you have to take Twitter to, to you have to take Twitter to the High Court to get this order taken out um for to get this information. So basically Michal Martin has to do that before he can then take, if he wants to, these people to court to try and prosecute them what over what they said about, about what him. What chance does the average person have if the jointly most senior person in the Irish government has to take a high court action to get something that you would have 
thought should be available at the drop of a hat? Yes, it's a very good question because I have a, a bit about this in my book as well. Uh, not to keep plugging the book, but, it, but I do have invention in it. Um, there is Remind a, me of the title There of the book. is a social capital. There is a quote from TJ McIntyre in it where he says, and there's an old saying, the doors of the high court, like the doors to the writs are open to anybody. So this idea that if you have 10 grand, you can go to court and take out an arch formical, formical order. Um, and it's, a, it's such a tricky area because now we are going to be seeing more of this kind of disinformation. We are seeing more disinformation, political campaigning, People like Miriam O'Callaghan have had to go to court to check out these orders over ads claiming she was selling certain things. So, you know, public figures are being targeted more with this. And it might be one thing to say somebody's involved in the cryptocurrency scam. And most people, I think, would look at that and say there's no way Mayola Martin's involved in that at all. But what about if it is something that people actually might actually believe? If it is something that if you're talking about general election coming up, political disinformation. So it's really, really tricky. And, and it's going to be interesting seeing how um, the tech companies um, and Kamish Unaman, for example, deal with Particular well, particularly when um, Elon Musk has made very clear that it is a badge of pride to resist government interference, as he puts it. Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, like X are, uh, in, you know, famously, infamously, not the most um, involved when it comes to these conversations with uh, with people trying to get them, you know, politicians trying to get them in front of committees and that sort of thing. So it's very tricky ground at the moment. Well, we spoke at length, as I said, to the um, uh, Jeremy Godfrey, the chairperson of Commission Naman. So if you want to hear that, there's about 18, 20 minutes of it from yesterday's program. You can just go on the Anton Savage Show page and download it there as a podcast. Funny, we were talking about Fine Gael and Sinn Féin <coughs> and the Fine Gael strategy to um, uh, try to look at or try to portray Sinn Féin as connected to criminality. And I was asking whether or not that really mattered to people. And then we got talking about landlords, tenants and housing and the text lit up on that topic not Sinn Féin's links to criminality. So a text saying all these supposed landlords texting in saying that if Sinn Féin enter government then they'll sell up risking making their tenants homeless. What do they think will happen to their properties once they dispose of them exactly? Someone will buy it and someone will ultimately live in it. The accommodation doesn't vanish just because they decide to sell. Another private landlord here with one house and I'm preempting a Sinn Féin government by getting out now. Sinn Féin can provide the accommodation uh, for the tenants. So, a lot along those lines. Dara O'Brien is going to be with us after 11 o'clock uh, to talk specifically about housing. But this raises uh, a thing that you have been covering, Craig, which is the dispute around one aspect of housing provision specifically to Ukrainian refugees. Yeah, so... We've known for a long time that the pressure or the system is coming under immense pressure. Um, this came to a head six weeks ago at Cabinet. Uh, your listeners might recall that Roderick O'Gorman um, floated the idea of lim- time limiting uh, the offering to 90 days. At the moment, it's indefinite uh, to Ukrainians who arrive here uh, fleeing the war in Ukraine. Uh, this caused massive consternation at the Cabinet table. Michal Martin was very animated um, and, and Daryl Bryan indeed believed to be one of the um, one of the ministers who said, well, what, after 90 days, like, what then? You know, we can't put them back on, on, onto the streets and let them fend for themselves on, on, on their already kind of overly constrained um, rental market. So, and, and I guess the other reason that this was this was such a big row was because typically the process is it goes to the sub-cabinet committee, which is, you know, leaders and senior ministers, then it goes to leaders and only then it goes to the cabinet. So, Michal Martin arrived back from, from a trip away and this is brought up under any other business um, by Minister Gorman and it was, you know, said to be one of the most heated cabinet um uh, rows of this government. So it was kicked to touch and they said, OK, go back to the sub-cabinet committee. That hasn't met since since that cabinet row. It's been delayed and delayed and delayed because people have been away. It's meeting on Monday and the two kind of... The one, okay, the one thing we know for certain is that 
welfare will be cut, you know. Um, so at the moment it's 220 a week. Um, it's What has been floated is around 38 potentially in line with other people in direct provision. Now, whether that's the final resting place or there's some middle ground. But the other thing that needs to be decided is is the accommodation offering. So there's there's, there's two proposals really. One is, as Minister Gorman for, for first um, floated, after 90 days, find your own accommodation. The other is a bit like people who are in direct provision and have a right to leave um, but can't find a place. So you, they wouldn't be trying out into the street but would suddenly have to pay for their own accommodation. Or pay, pay okay, so, so just to remind everybody, by the way, that is uh, uh, Craig Hughes who is talking political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail. I'm joined as well by Aoife Barry who is journalist and author of Social Capital and uh, Sheena Cahill, account mm-hmm. director of DHR Communications. Now, Craig, when you were talking about the thing of the 90 days, let me get this mm-hmm. straight. What that means is that somebody will flee the war in Ukraine, come to Ireland. We will say, don't worry, we will take you in. We will then house them for three months. And at Mm. the end of the three months, we will either say, well, you've had your time, go figure it out yourself. Or we'll say, take the money that we're paying you as social welfare and feed it directly back into the system to pay for your own housing. Pretty much, yeah. Um, But I I think that... the whole idea behind this, now which the government won't say publicly, is to limit the offering that Ireland currently has, um, the, the very attractive offering that, that Ireland currently has. So the Oireachtas Library literally did a piece of research on the level of welfare. I think we're the highest in, in, in the EU. And um, Belgium, on, on the other hand, have the lowest and they've taken in, in Western Europe, by far the lowest amount of Ukrainian refugees. So look, while, while correlation isn't always causation, it does seem to be, be quite a clear link there. And this is the thing that has been described as shooting Bambi, the reduction in welfare from, what, 225 to 80-odd or something along those lines. Isn't that what the well, well, It could be down to as low as 30, yeah. 30 yeah. And I think, I think this needs to be a moment where we refocus again on if we're looking at not, not just, like, if you're thinking about what the impact of that might be for a Ukrainian person or family, uh, going from two twenty down to thirty eight eighty, and as in fairness, as Craig said, that is not it. It could go down as low as thirty eight eighty. That has not been decided yet. But thirty eight eighty. My God, the kite is flying fairly high. Mm. Is but at thirty eight eighty, thirty euro, thirty eight euro and eighty cent is what someone in direct provision in Ireland at the moment who can who does not have refugee status is sitting possibly in a bunk bed. I, I, I was going to say listening to this radio programme, probably not even with access to that. Uh, that is currently what we think is OK to give to people uh, in direct provision. And I think that that needs to be part of this conversation, not just about how we're treating Ukrainians differently, <clears throat> which in and of itself, I think, is, is, is cause for debate in comparison to other people who have also gotten here from Somalian wars and places all across uh, 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 the world to come and try and and make a better living and a better life for themselves. Um, And it is interesting that I suppose it's this idea and and Craig's right, that the the government don't really want to say it. They want to parcel it in kind of business terms. But effectively what they want is this kind of a chill chill factor uh, to try and reduce this idea of Ireland being this kind of uh, great place to be an asylum seeker. I can guarantee you that 38 30 euro a week is not a great place to be in. But it's an interesting shift from where we were two years ago where there were a whole series of special provisions being made because the Ukrainian situation was seen as being something unique so that there was the kind of driver's licensing acceptance there was the capacity to work that was sort of fast tracked through. Mm -hmm. It looks like now the government attitude is ooh let's back all of that back and treat Ukrainians the way we treat everybody else. Yeah and if you look at what we've seen since then as well if you look at their at the moment, there are people who are living in tents on the side of the road who have come over um, from Ireland, uh, from different countries, because there's nowhere for them to stay. We've seen people who were down in Sandwich Street where they were staying, their tents, uh, 
like the road there was set on fire where they were because of anti-immigration protesters. We've seen a lot of conflict in smaller areas where they're trying to sort out the accommodation issues for people coming into Ireland and some locals disagreeing with that and there being a lot lot of fractious um, behaviour. It's been a really fractious and difficult period of time and the the government is obviously spending a lot of money on this as well in terms of the welfare supports, accommodation sports. It's reached this massive crunch point months ago with accommodation that it just doesn't have enough um, and it's clearly trying to pull back this kind of welcoming Ireland. Anybody, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of going to welcome people here who've come from conflict and we will we will make them feel welcome and now they're saying, well, the but numbers don't But there was an element of, of Ukrainian solidarity. I mean, there, and there really was. was. And there, do you remember and all those questions huge. about are we, are we even treading on our own neutrality because because of the degree of sport that was talked about, really was, we get yeah. military sport and all of that. Has all of that just flowed into the sands? It's it's such a different one because I think it was so amazing seeing the solidarity that was shown and and the solidarity solidarity that's being shown um, with with Palestinian people at the moment in Gaza. Um, that idea of of Irish people saying, you know, we we understand what's happening to you and we want to you know we want to show you solidarity. And with the Ukrainians, it was one we literally want to make it easy for you to leave a leave a country that's been invaded and for you to kind of ha- have a life here. But of course, like you know, was saying the debate over that is. Well, how come some people then are living who are from different countries are living on 38 euro a week and are waiting years for a decision to be made on their asylum and not allowed to work yeah, I mean, so this, this idea I, I always uh, you know hear this uh, military age men thing and I'm like that's also working age men right and we're talking about so many um, industries uh, across Ireland at the minute that are just baying for people to try and come in and work with them uh, and uh, apprenticeships and otherwise uh, but even if that wasn't the case you were treating people extremely differently but I, I can tell you solid Solidarity doesn't look like handing people a tent and a sleeping bag at the door of the department. That's not solidarity. And a Dunstores voucher when you don't know what Dunstores is because you've never heard of it in your life. Like it's such, it, the country's in such a really difficult place with this yeah. right now. I don't know, Craig, you think you were going to come Well, I, I, I think it's, you know, the, the teacher's kind of view in it, as he said publicly, is that, you know, there isn't um, a limit on our compassion, but there is in our capacity. And it's, you know, it is kind of stuck in, in that mindset whereby is mm-hmm. how do you take more people in at the moment when you know they're going to be living in tents on the side of the street over the Christmas time so that is the difficulty And but there, but there are also when this has happened previously there's been a kind of a natural rebalancing whereby people who are preparing to come here hear about how difficult it has got and it'll be the same if, when they make changes to um, to the welfare and accommodation offering that, that it does the reality is it does filter back um, and kind of does reduce the, the numbers that have come Meanwhile just to wrap us up on the front of the uh, business post McGrath hits back at ridiculous lazy caricature of the Irish economy Sheena this is the caricature that oh, we are best pleased are, uh, you know he's not best pleased I mean I, th- I think it's so it's, it's, it's the IFAC which is the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council came out um, during the week at Lorcan Allen actually has a piece on page 4 of the Business Post uh, talking about how um, you know He's giving out saying that, you know, this that Ireland uh, had set a rule, uh, a, a prudent spending rule in 2021 of like a 5% kind of uh, spending rule. And it has broken, it's broken that every single year in the budgets. Um, I suppose one of the things that uh, I suppose people don't uh, necessarily um, get, I think, when, when we when we listen and hear about the budget every year, the impact of what is announced in October is not often felt, actually, um, by government in terms of its spending rules until the year after. So it's uh, so I think the IFAC are kind of looking ahead into 2024, which, of course, is an election year. And they're saying this is this is where some of these spending rules are actually going to impact. Um, Mike, Michael, uh, Michael McGrath, then, sorry, um, uh, speaking speak hits back on the IFAC, IFAC then with a comment in the Business Post kind of saying look at we had to do all the spending because inflation had gotten so bad uh, that we had to do it because of the cost of living crisis because of un- the unknowns around Ukraine and all of that kind of thing 
And, and the Business Post describing it as an unprecedented fault line between IFAC and Cabinet. And meanwhile... Yeah, and, call, and, and saying that what's happening is a fiscal gimmick as well. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of people probably feel it in their pocket, of course. This is always, it goes down to this, uh, you know, government, uh, you know, were, there was a significant spend allocation in the budget 2024. But I suppose people who are trying to pay energy bills and trying to stay afloat don't necessarily feel that. Uh, and it's, so it's a very difficult thing to be strategic down the line in budgets when the political consequences are always going to be how does it personally impact me? What am I getting uh, out of this budget? And if I remember rightly, according to the polls, Craig, there wasn't much of a bounce out of the last budget for the government parties, was there? Not immediately, but now that the payments are coming through now, you've seen a bit of a boost. So maybe it's more aligned with when actually people feel the money coming into their pockets um, than not. And elections. And the the other thing he's hitting back at is is, uh, uh, Thomas Piketty's criticism, Mm. which is the usual criticism from all and sundry, that Mm. we are almost brass placking it with our um, corporation Mm. tax. Yeah, and his, his defence is that, you know, there's much more to um, to Ireland's offering, you know, it educated young workforce people, the, the big multinationals have, you know, roots down here, they employ, you know, hundreds of thousands of people which feed into our income tax base, all the rest of it. Um, but going back to the fiscal gimmickry, I mean, there's, there's no denying it. I mean, like, let's take the health budget, for example. Um, so I was re- re- reporting during the week that, uh, you know, there was a big a blistering roust uh, ongoing before the budget between between Pascal Donoghue and Stephen Donnelly. Um, Pascal Donoghue described uh, Mr Donnelly's ma- management of the health budget as appalling. But the, the counterpoint to that is, right, so we, we've a €22.5 uh, billion Euro, um, health budget, but it doesn't bake in um, like uh, costs that are down as temporary, such as COVID spending and other over- overruns that we know are going to happen. We've seen pushback from Robert Watt on this as well. So when you know there's going to be a deficit in the health budget next year, but we haven't included it, when you know we're going to have to spend you know, about a billion quid on, on Ukrainians, but you're not including it in the budget, that is gimmickry. I should say there's a, a long text in in relation to um, landlords in the current housing, but it's a good one. It says, the problem is the populace largely don't have an understanding of the housing market. One, we don't have enough labour. Two, Labour and materials are expensive. Tradespeople are clearing 1,000 to 1,200 euro per week. Three, planning system has no predictability, so you could be holding aside for two to five years, meaning you have no income return for that period. Four, the cost of debt has in effect tripled, meaning development is actually not viable. And five, the grief if you were a developer for making what small profit they make is a high-risk, unreasonable return. Well, as I said... The Minister of Housing, Dara O'Brien, is going to be with us in about five or six minutes. You can hit him with that long text now, Correct. That's Correct. We will open with that long text as well as the uh, suggestions that Greg was outlining earlier on about the argument between himself and Michal Martin on the one side and Roderick O'Gorman on the other in relation to uh, the 90-day housing limit for Ukrainians and also what's going to happen with homelessness and the housing crisis as we go through winter. A big thank you to Sheena Cahill, Account Director of DHR Communications, Craig Hughes, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail and Aoife Barry, journalist and author of some book, I believe. Sorry, I don't normally put these plugs in. <laughs> it just happened to chime in with some of the things that I spent right. ages uh, researching. Uh, filling it co- is, yeah, absolutely. The title to remind you, Social Capital, Life Online in the Shadow of Ireland's Tech Boom. Thanks very much, guys. Back after this break. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.